Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Hellboy and I'm very happy to be joined once again by uh, recurring guest Elijah Howard. Elijah, how's it going? Doing pretty good. Thank you for having me. And I'm very happy to be joined for the first time by a longtime listener, first time guest, our friend Arjun Call. Arjun, thanks for being here, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so guys, I you you guys put in this request to talk about this movie uh, quite a while ago, and I said, sure, the trailer looked fun enough, and I've actually never seen one of these Hellboy movies, and it'll be cool to do it with someone that has a longer relationship with this franchise. Uh, as those of you know who are more familiar with it... Uh, uh, Guillermo del Toro did a did two Hellboy movies that were this is kind of a rebooting of the franchise. He did Hellboy and Hellboy Two Golden Army in two thousand four and two thousand eight respectively, and those movies are pretty well received. And the this new movie is directed by Neil Marshall, a, a British director who is pretty well respected for some movies of his own, as well as directing some pretty big Game of Thrones episodes. So I think when everyone came together and they cast David Harbour in the title role, who everyone knows and likes a lot from his work on Stranger Things and put out a pretty solid trailer everyone's like all right we're gonna kind of see what this movie has going for it looks like it could be something and then the reviews came out it wasn't pretty and then and then we saw the movie so i think it's safe to say we're not spoiling anything for anyone that says that uh or we're spoiling the rest of the podcast i'll go ahead and say it that none of us particularly like this movie but i guess i want to start by talking to you guys about this this character and these prior movies because i just didn't make the effort to go back and watch them when i saw how bad the reviews were i was like you know what i'm just going to be comparing it to these originals and i'm just going to be super disappointed when it's probably already going to be disappointed and it's probably just not really going to enhance my viewing experience at all so arjun i guess i want to i'll start with you uh, because you're the you're the new guy and i want to give you the floor first what what is it about the Guillermo del Toro originals that that you really appreciated that made you think, hey, maybe this uh, maybe this this new reimagining in the franchise could be something special and made you excited to see this movie when you first learned it was a thing? I love the del Toro movies for a lot of reasons. Um, I think sort of the biggest reason I can pinpoint is that you 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 get a profound sense of how um, Hellboy in the del Toro movies you, you you get a definite sense of how he's just sort of like a small piece in. Um, a, a larger world, and that sort of creates a um, a sense of a sense of self for for Hellboy, almost that is at times profoundly sad. We should lonely. say we should say it's, uh, it's inspired. It, it's kind of taken from comics. I wanted to ask: were, were you a reader of the comics, or just a fan of those first couple of movies? I am a reader of um, not as much of the comics as I would have liked. It's a very long running. Uh, it's it's a it's a long running series that's been written by the same guy, Mike Mignola. Yeah. I haven't ever said his name out loud. Mike uh, Mignola <laughs> for the last um, I think since since the nineties probably. Yeah. Um, I have my Hellboy the Companion here, um, so I'm um, yeah <laughs> I would say I'm a pretty like which I've read cover to cover a couple of times. So yeah, I'm I'm um, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of the comics. Oddly enough, I think this movie is more uh, comic accurate than the previous ones. Really, in some senses, it, well, at least in the sort of in the actual sort of textual accuracy way this movie is definitely more accurate some of the some of the moments um in this movie like the you know like the like the baba yaga's house um approaching hellboy um a lot of the scenes from the wild hunt those are taken like frame for frame from the comics which the del toro movies didn't really have much of but in terms of you know how the movies feel um i would say the del toro movies carried this really beautiful tone that that was able to switch from sort of playful to somber on 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 a dime and that's that's a hallmark of like del toro's movies as a whole right he makes you see like the the uh how how sort of wonder and sadness are two sides of the same coin or wonder and loneliness sort of 
you you even even in the even even in the older movies when even in the more flippant sort of uh, funny moments you you do you always get a sense of hellboy being out of place and a little sad at times that's part of why he forms his attachment to liz in the older movies played by son of blair and that is definitely something that's taken that's lifted directly from the comics hellboy is a lonely being who's un, profoundly unsure of his place in the world and that's obviously something you, you know that's one of the more it's one of the best most grounding aspects of the comic right um like that that's one of the biggest reasons i really liked hellboy one yeah um I think I'm probably going on for too long. Here. So, no, okay, anyway. you, you know, you're good, um, but like, I mean, I'm curious also, and I, 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 I appreciate you putting in perspective just how it, it feels a little different as far as Hellboy's place in the world. I mean, he's obviously just very different looking uh, and like what com- comes from hell literally, but it's interesting to hear how you put it as that's how he came from or that that's how it felt a little different as far as just how it placed him within the, just within the world itself as this different kind of being uh as opposed to this one but also another big difference from this movie is that is that it's rated r uh and i don't know uh if that has that that goes along with what you're saying about it being maybe lifted a little more directly from the comics in that regard if it's a little more graphic or or whatnot but i, I don't know if you could speak to that either elijah N- not even as a comic book reader but just what, what did you think when you thought hey i like these original movies now they're gonna do an r-rated one was that part of maybe what made you excited when this movie first got announced yeah um because i thought that there was uh, you know a direction that that could be taken i mean the, the hellboy comics are definitely not <laughs> You know, not PG. Oh, so you've, um, you've read them too, or at least some of them. Yeah. Um, okay, gotcha. I've, yeah, I've read most of, most of the run. And this this started in the '90s, but um, the ones that this movie was based on are actually the ones from like the mid to late 2000s. Gotcha. Um, and that's when I started reading Hellboy. So those were some of the first ones I read. And uh, there's definitely a place where you could take it, and I think my understanding of it. And what I think a lot of other people maybe thought when they first, uh, you know, put this movie into pre-production, um, and especially when they brought on Neil Marshall to direct it, um, was that they were going to take that R rating in a more horror direction. Uh, the movie was going to end up being more of like a horror comedy, um, which I thought would be an interesting way to, you know, to earn that R rating. Right. You know, to really balance that, you know, hellish kind of terror with the more humanistic elements that, that Arjun brought up. And uh, I think the movie just kind of, and I'll explain because I, I know some of the audience might not know Neil Marshall's uh, background besides Game of Thrones, but Neil Marshall is a famous horror director from the 2000s. He directed The Descent um, and he directed Dog Soldiers, which are kind of these, uh, you know, cult 80% on Rotten Tomatoes kind of horror movies. And so that's where I was kind of hoping this movie would fall, would be to take that sort of grim nature of the source material and balance that with the, with the lightheartedness in the source material. And, um, you know, Arjun mentioned that, you know, this was more accurate to the comics than the original, uh, you know, Hellboy movies. And I'm going to agree with that. Um, but I think it's largely to its detriment. I think this was, um, an attempt to just kind of jam everything in, uh, you know, to, to put all the mints in the pie, and it didn't really, you know, at some well, point, it didn't pan out. Well, as someone, me, who hasn't read any of the comics, it felt to me like they probably, and you tell me if I'm wrong, it felt like they were taking stuff from, like, four different comic books and trying to make it into one movie. Is that what they yep. were doing? Because that's, that's precisely right. There was four comic book arcs that they actually, 
fourth. It might be five. Um, I think it's it's Darkness Calls, The Wild Hunt, Storm and the Fury, and Hellboy in Mexico. That's Hellboy in Mexico. Oh, yeah, I totally forgot that they adapted Hellboy in Mexico. Well, yeah, the, the, right, the, we should say the movie does start in Tijuana with them having yeah, to track exactly, him down, yeah. and he's uh, mm-hmm. he's going like going after other members of the um, Bureau for Paranormal Research that have been um, been turned into other types of beings. I guess I don't really know exactly what's happening in that first scene. Uh, right. I mean, that's a, that's that's a quintessential problem of adapting a comic book. You can't condense a gigantic story. You know, it's not gigantic, but a, a multi-issue story arc into right. you know five to ten minutes. Couldn't, couldn't couldn't this whole movie have been just him going around Mexico doing stuff, and it probably would have been better. I it mean, would have been fun. You know, you lose you lose so much like connective tissue right like that's that's some of them that's like one of one of the biggest sort of things that comics as a medium create is like this or at least you know long-running comics is, is the ability to is the ability to sort of solidify connective tissue over the course of like months or years the things that you wouldn't be able to do in even like novels that are released yearly or tv series that are released season by season and that's you know like elijah was saying that's something that you just can do if you try to adapt like multiple arcs into a movie like i think the best one or one of the best examples from this movie comes with the whole um when uh, ruiz i think let me just look my yeah his name yeah that's not is 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 turned into a vampire and his in his last words are sort of like the end is coming or something and he, he name drops an angun rama yeah. and then which is the for people listening is the um hellboy's real name quote unquote um um he name drops sort of anangun rama and uh and then that's what spurs Hellboy on, or that's what sort of clues Hellboy into what's going on in the movie. That connective tissue is never really explored in any meaningful way. Where, where I mean, first of all, we're not really introduced to like this. This is the the beginning of the movie's problem with like paper thin characterization. Is I think the relationship between Hellboy and this seemingly possibly best friend, but also unknown uh, Mexican BRP or BRPD agent, BPRD agent lost in Mexico. Anyway, um, but I think the greater problem with that is how it's sort of, this is supposed to be the conflict or at least the piece of information that sets off that whole story. And it just doesn't feel like that. It feels like something disjointed completely. You yeah. know, that's, that's a problem with the whole movie. The whole movie does really feel disjointed. I, did, I should say at this point, I didn't hate it. It wasn't, I didn't, yeah, I didn't dislike it. Oh, really? I, did, I, did, I, didn't, I didn't hate it. Okay, well. I, I did. I wanted to love it a lot more. Than, than I did. Okay, so what 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 did what did work for you then about it? I mean, I I'll keep it I'll, I'll keep it a little bigger picture for a second before you get in it, or you can go specific anywhere you want. But I I, I thought I, the way I understood your comments before we went on the air, I thought you were you were super super down on it. So I'm I'm curious, like what what in the movie did work for you? Because I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about the thing, plenty of time to talk about what didn't work. I think some of the parts that worked for me uh, were yeah, I think the parts that worked for me um, were parts that were sort of directly lifted from from the comics some of like the some some of the like almost twisted comic moments like the whole the whole sequence in the baba yaga's house which was like initially it came off to me as like sort of you know um, faux edgy weird but then sort of it, it warmed on me and i liked the sort of the, the the very slight horror comedy bent that we got which is lifted a little bit from the comic no okay well i'll, I'll just yeah. say that like i did find that visually more interesting than most of the rest of the movie because i mean as much as i can enjoy gore like everyone else it did feel like a movie at times as far as like what we're going to do to be visually interesting with our fight scenes is just kind of devolve into a bunch of people getting their eyes pulled out and at a certain point it's like okay i feel like i've seen this like five times now at least you know with this with this scene like 
this house is like very weird and it's cameras moving in funny ways and i'm always feel like i'm being stimulated visually in a somewhat different way than all this other stuff the movie was continually trying to throw at me because you see a lot of like i can't remember the last time i saw a movie where this many limbs get ripped apart or bodies get ripped in half i I just i just i I don't think i don't think i've ever seen a movie where it's done to this extent elijah this 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 movie's r rating is entirely just people getting impaled right that's that's how this movie earns its r rating there there has i'm i i'm not sure if i want to put in the brain power to figure out what it is but there has got to i i mean maybe i'm just grasping at straws here but there has got to be some kind of reason that this movie was so heavy on the impaling imagery so many people get impaled (laughs) like characters who are important characters who are not important random people giants like giants Like, everybody gets impaled. Hellboy gets impaled. Like, there's so many points in this movie where people get impaled, and I just, I I have no idea why. I, I mean, it's just like, I, I can get behind a good impaling, you know? It's, it's, it's just got to be timed right and catch me off guard. But if you get if you make me numb to the impaling, I'm just going to get kind of annoyed, you know? But if you, you play, if you have one well-timed surprising one, then it's probably going to be pretty effective, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was almost like surprising when um, I guess spoiler alert. Um, yeah, hold on. I should, I should I should say I, that I'm I'm we're, we're going to spoil the heck out of this movie right now because I, I this movie's done so poorly and the like the ten other people that the, the the ten people that actually like care about this movie like they've already seen it and no one's like tuning in at this point like almost two weeks after it's released to like decide if they're going to go see a Hellboy movie that's like fifteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes and as good of a conversation as you might end up having i don't think it's going to convince anyone otherwise because we're not going to say the nicest things about it so guys don't feel bad about spoiling it but go ahead arjun yeah just you know there's not, nothing substantial but just like a sort of a weird like comic you know when when professor broom dies at the end and he just sort of does like his throat gets slit and that seems i, I i'm like so i really thought well, i was expecting more <laughs> yeah right you know, expect him to get impaled in at least three different directions, and you know, but um, yeah, the, the the violence was sort of. I mean, I was going to say the violence was gratuitous, but it's not that the violence. It's it's almost like the 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 death and dismemberment seemed. Um, you know, I I wouldn't necessarily say it's it seemed. Actually, no. Yes, it did seem gratuitous. I was trying to convince myself out of the 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 it seemed gratuitous like. Um, uh, line of thinking because I don't want to come across as sort of like Puritan, but that's not really the reason necessarily. It's just that I felt that um, a lot of it just, yeah, a lot of it just rang hollow. Like the like the whole the whole sequence where the monsters emerge from uh, the the monsters emerge beneath London. That was yeah. just like it was funny for about ten seconds, and then I was just like, okay, this is these are generic ass monsters like that that like just seemingly enjoy impaling like people on the same block rather than just yeah that's no yeah it, it was like how many how, how many squishings can can you really take before it, that and have it still feel like you're watching something that's a little that's interesting and there's only so many times you could do it i mean we we, we, we didn't even really talk about yet the just the actual plot of the movie though where i mean basically the the blood queen uh is it is it nimue am i saying it right yeah, she's actually. You know what? I was gonna give Arthuriana background, but Elijah, you 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 take this one. <laughs> um, okay, so I mean, it's there's a kind of there's a lot going on there because Nimue is may or may not be the Lady of the Lake, which is you know kind of 
it's hard because it's a very convoluted story in Arthuriana. I'm not going to make you like recite the comic like perfectly from memory. I was just wanting to give a little background to ask you like if you thought they even utilized her effectively in this movie. I don't need I don't want to put any pressure on you of like trying to explain some convoluted comic storyline. But if you want to give a little background and then say how you thought they translated her to the screen, that's what I was hoping you guys could do. No, I mean to to be totally honest, the comics and and movie version of Nimue, the, the the Lady of the Lake, is not it's not really related to the you know to the to, to, to the the one in the Arthuriana you know in the original medieval texts. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. You know, there's some stylistic uh, decisions, and clearly throughout the movie, they make you know an effort to tap into that Arthuriana. That you know you have Excalibur and you have Merlin and all this stuff, but it's more of a I don't know. It's more like a hash brown mix of <laughs> of Arthurian legend than it is like an actual uh, practical application of it. Gotcha. Well, I mean, basically, you know, they show her at the beginning where it's like, all right, going to chop her up. King Arthur's like, chop her up, put her away everywhere and never have to hear from her again. And sure enough, like, that's not a permanent solution. And and she's back. So and, and she's uh, played by Mia Jovovich. And I don't know. It's like. My thing was, we I mentioned it earlier, and it's like, and and you guys kind of confirmed it for me. Like they're trying to like put like five different comic storylines together, and I just don't think they really spend enough time with her at all to make her all that compelling. And you know, I think the key to just making these kind of comic books, or a, a big key to making any of these comic book movies good, is just finding a way to make a villain compelling. And I, when you're going to spend so much of your time, it feels like on these like odd digressions to this, uh, to this like the Osiris Club, and to uh, just going doing weird flashbacks and stuff and you know it just felt like the movie was like way too scatterbrained to like decide what it wanted to be about and you know i think she's probably a good enough actress that like she could have made that like a really compelling villain but it just didn't really give her enough to do i i, I mean do you guys did, did you guys feel that and did or did it work did it work for you more or did you see a way in which the movie could have utilized her better yeah yeah i, I like you know i wrote down like i think i was like stretching to find things that worked for me in this movie and also trying to write things down in a dark cinema. But like the the performances did work. You know, Mia Jovovich wasn't wasn't awful. Sasha Lane and Daniel Dykin weren't awful when their accents were consistent, which was not always. It, it was yeah, it was most, mostly a problem with like how how they were utilized. And I think a lot of it just comes back to I don't know whether this is a cause or an effect of the problem, but the characterizations of a lot of the characters are just like like paper thin and do not sort of hold up or just aren't interesting. Like the like uh, Gruagax group, I forgot how to say his name. He's another character lifted directly from the comics. That's, you know, interesting. He's portrayed pretty interestingly, but like his, his motivation for, for essentially setting off the entire plot comes across as so ridiculously hollow and like, is is yeah. that, that's what happened. He, 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 he could have lived life as a baby if Hellboy didn't figure it out. Like, yeah. what? It's, yeah, um, you, you know, even... I, like I brought, I brought this like sheet of paper into the cinema. Around halfway down the page, I wrote, "Broom wasn't actually that bad. He was just underdeveloped and cliched." Again, sort of, yeah. And then at the bottom of the page, I wrote, "Change my mind about Broom. He's awful." <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like the character, yeah. Like the characterization of one of these characters is just like, like doesn't, you know, it either doesn't make any sense or is just so like one one note, especially when you compare the character of Broom to the, the, the John Hurt character from the older films, which is just an, an excellently portrayed, excellently written father figure archetype, right? And like, I felt that this movie, um, 
I'm, I'm digressing a bit from the Mio, from the Mio Jovovich point, but I thought that this movie part of the problem is I feel that it sort of buys into a lot of the um, um, like th this whole sort of like weirdly like aggressive male antihero, aggressive prickly male antihero thing. Like that that sort of you see some like um, you you can see problems with that archetype um, affecting everything from like Breaking Bad to like Rick and Morty. Um, <laughs> Like and and you know there are some shows that have that have risen sort of above it. Like I, I think uh, like Mad Men I think is a great example of a show that whatever qualms I have with Mad Men I think it sort of successfully very well like diffused that archetype. And I think that problem like that increasingly popular prickly antihero archetype. And I think that part of why this movie's characterization is so thin is because it it yeah it, it just you know it confuses like um, cliches and 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 bowing to archetypes for actual characterization. Like, Broom is just needlessly sort of, like, turned into this vaguely, um, vaguely harsh, tough love type figure, which, um, which just doesn't ring true. It just, it, it never, it never really feels genuine at any point in the movie, his, his relationship with Hellboy. And it kind of does at some points, I guess. Well, you know. Ian McShane's like a really good actor too. So it's like, I mean, like if 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 you're gonna like, I tend I tend to certainly blame like the writing and the storytelling more than I blame him if that's gonna if that's gonna be the case. But like, and and I, I I'm not upset about you like not going too far in the Mia Jovovich point because I mean that was just like my problem. And but like I feel like we just hadn't talked that much about the characters yet, and it's interesting when you're trying to like, um, uh, you know, adapt a. Uh, you know, adapt a film like this or adapt or not adapt, like reboot a franchise like this. Like, how are you going to capture those characters? I mean, uh, Elijah, do you have any strong thoughts on any of them? Cause if not, I figured I was going to kind of just ask you like about just David Harbour's performance in and of itself. Cause I mean, I, I'm, I feel like a lot of people are pretty fond of Ron Perlman in the, in the original Hellboys from what I understand. And that's, that's a pretty tall ass to this kind of, kind of take on a character of that stature and uh, for someone like him. Yeah. I mean, I think, that there's a lot of committed performances in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, I think David Harbour is one. I think even, you know, in her, I don't know, 10 minutes of screen time, Mila Jovovich is one. I think Stephen Graham is one as, uh, as Grugach, as the, as the <laughs> big pig person. I mean, I loved that character. And I just, the, ultimately, I think what the main problem was for all of these characters was, you know, underwriting, which maybe that's a cop out to say that so i, I want to kind of dig in more and and say that i think the movie script was at odds with itself um and i don't know if that was a result of the fact that it was you know of, of how it was written and decisions that were made during the writing process um and it it definitely was jarring when i was watching it because something that i had felt going in was that it would at least have some sense of, you know, fluidity with the comics because it was conceptualized. This movie screenplay was conceptualized by Mike Mignola, by the guy who wrote the original comics. Mm. Um, and usually when that's the case, you, you do end up with films that even if they're not good necessarily, they're they they have their their taught. Uh, I don't really want to you know, diverge too much here. But similarly, you know, that was kind of what ended up happening with, like, Spawn, the 1997 Spawn film. You know, and that one was eventually completely rewritten, but, you know, there's a, the original script concept and story were laid out by mm. Todd McFarlane. And, 
you know, I think that comes through in the film. So that was sort of baffling to me watching this movie that, you know, it had that creator's touch and it still turned out like this. And I mean, reading about what their, you know, what the writing team's goals were with this movie, I just don't really know how it, well, I mean, I do know how it turned out like this. And <laughs> it is, like I said, it's because it was at odds with itself. But they didn't well, really know where they wanted to go with it. Well, you said it, you said underwritten, but like, I almost thought it was like overwritten and underwritten at the same time where like, uh, we kind of mentioned how it's like, I, I think you could have excised that whole portion of the movie where he like goes and meets up with the Osiris club and then he kills the giants. That, that, that seemed like it was something that could have just like, if you take that out of the movie, it loses almost nothing to me. And it, it, like I just don't think those Osiris couple characters, for the most part, were like all that important to like the stories that would have been like th- that the movie could have uh, told the, the a more complete streamlined version of this movie would have been. So like if you try not to like jam so many plots into it, then maybe you do spend more time with these characters who, as you just said, were I mean they were committed performances if nothing else, and maybe if they're if, if they're given just a little more time and thought. And the writers are like, all right, how can we uh, develop them further in service of these three storylines as opposed to, like, these six ones with, like, five other characters? Then we might have a better movie on our hands. Right, but, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you. I mean, they, something that Mike Mignola said specifically about the screenplay was that he didn't want to do another origin story um, because he had felt that when Del Toro did the films, they took that idea of an origin story um, and did it perfectly fine. And that was... You know, that was that. He felt like he didn't want to retread that same ground and, and make it 100 percent, you know, a real reboot where it's literally just the same film. But, you know, the, the problem with that is that when you make a movie like this that's based on comics that are that are lore heavy, where you have decided to ad- adapt four different comics, invariably what you're going to do is spend a lot of time retreading old ground. And I think that's where a lot of the movie's writing flaws came in, which was where they felt the need to insert this fluff in order to make small points about the characters' pasts and to kind of hide this notion that it's it's not an origin story, when it pretty clearly was. I mean, yeah, yeah. we don't—it doesn't start on the Scottish island with the Nazis in the rain in the 1940s, but— um, We see it. We still see it, yeah. It's, it just happens later in the film. And, like, you know your movie has a problem when you're getting a character's origin story when there's 20 minutes left in the movie, (laughs) which is is what happens with Daniel Day Kim's character, with Ben Daimyo. We we, literally, we know nothing about his character until there's, like, almost no time left in the movie. Well, it's very weird. And the movie's, like, trying to, like, hide the ball with him at the same time, too, and keeps, like, hinting at him, like, him being, like, the true bad guy or something like that the whole time. It's it's like, is, is that really the best use of, like, your screen time, too? Like, giving us a weird misdirection like that? What did you think about that, Arjun? Yeah, the misdirection point is, like, or the sort of unintentional giving us a sense of misdirection point is, yeah, the, the whole, you know, the movie was so, so muddled that at several points you, you it was sort of obvious that it was going to go in one direction, but they were signaling just so many other different weird, um, um, different, different weird directions that they, that they wanted to go. And there were several times when I was watching it that I thought this movie desperately wants to be part of the Del Toro movies but it also desperately wants to be separate from them. Like it, it, um, and you know, that, that, that comes across in both the actual, the actual writing of the storyline and as well as the actual, the, the, the sense of the sense of emotion that they try to give the characters, you know, they can tell that they want it, or you can tell that they wanted to adapt to this sense of, um, this sense of, uh, the sense of loss and alienation and loneliness that Hellboy feels 
that is which is very well portrayed in the del toro movies but then they sort of thought you know but we have to make it our own thing so then so then you know hellboy now responds to that by just like drinking and going to strip clubs in jersey which yeah. is yeah it's it sort of these this movie yeah it, it desperately wanted to be part of something something greater than itself either the del toro movies or you know the actual comics um but then it just it 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 just they also felt too much that they wanted to make it their own thing, and and that sort of really muddled it. It, it became it, it's you know it, to its detriment. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I feel like I might have enjoyed a version more where it was like you said more somber, and I got I I was totally there for I, I respected what David Harbour was trying to do, but at the same time it it was like it just seemed like it was way more interested in just being like a romp to from to various storylines and graphic set Mm -hmm. pieces and it it didn't really want to take the time to like let you see that side of the character if that is indeed what as you guys say like a pretty big part of the character from the earlier films and i i just this movie is very long too i didn't really make that complaint but it it was it went on for a long time like i looked at my watch at one point and i mean that's not really a great sign at the movie when you're looking at your watch to begin with uh but like i was like man like there's another 55 minutes in this thing and it's like if it's a movie that long, like you should have time for that kind of stuff. Instead, it's like, all right, we're gonna we're we're gonna we're gonna do this whole thing with like a Merlin, and then we're gonna go to this other scene where like Nimue is hanging out with her coven, and then we're gonna do this uh, it's the whole thing where all these people are squishing people in one. It's like I wanted to take you to like one crazy scene from another without like really slowing down to like kind of like let you feel these characters at all i guess it's supposed to be touching like when uh ian mcshane is giving him a couple of his different speeches but when it's sandwiched between so much of st- so many things that are so unlike that then i'm just not really feeling it yeah, I, even within the speeches itself right like you know you can tell they want to they want to make ian mcshane sort of like a, a, a generic like nice fatherly figure they also want to make ian mcshane this sort of like tough love hard ass type father figure basically just to make it distinct from John Hurt. Um, and they also want to make Ian McShane like um, a much more sort of, um, a much more sort of um, the wise personal, personal character, right? It's, it's, it's being stretched in so many, so many different directions. And I might have, you know, you, you were saying you would have enjoyed um, a movie that was more somber and more about Hellboy's loneliness. And I would have enjoyed, I also would have enjoyed a movie where like that, that sort of went full on horror comedy that, that, you know, um, Elijah was talking about how much he liked like the a lot of a lot of, a lot of the Grugach scenes where like you know you, you got you got a sense of this sort of like mildly batshit crazy character and I, I would have enjoyed a movie that went all in on that on that sort of on that vibe you know this movie just really didn't know what it wanted to be um, no I agree you know you know I, the one last thought I'll give you guys is that it's very weird like I I already complained about how long this movie was and then right when you think it's gonna end you get this thing at the end where it's like six months later i was like oh my god it, it's still going and you have and you have this scene where we didn't really talk about sasha lane yet i actually i actually thought as i think arjun alluded to earlier actually comes out of the movie looking as good as anyone i i did enjoy her presence a lot throughout and just scenes where there wasn't a ton going on and she was just there riffing with hellboy were actually pretty fun but you get the scene where it's him and uh D- daniel day kim and and hellboy they're they're kind of like their own team at the end and they're going off and they're doing their own thing and i was like I actually would have liked this movie, you know, 
and 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 that, that was that was kind of just the thought I had. It was like you know I I kind of enjoy each of these three characters. I mean it take it takes them forever to like kind of put all the cards on the table with respect to uh, Daniel Day Kim's character. But I was like I'm now that I kind of know who these people are. Like I'm enjoying. I could enjoy a movie where it's just like them being their own little group that runs around and like does and fights paranormal forces. That would have been cool. Instead, I got this other overstuff thing. It was just very weird. It was like man, like it's just clicking into place at like the two hour three minute mark. What this should have been. And to me, at least, I, I mean, that that was my thing. Like, I, I just see a vision where you could have taken some of the parts from this movie and just like chopped a bunch of other fat off. And it would have been like actually kind of worthwhile. I don't know. Elijah, did you have any other thoughts on just uh, things I didn't touch on? Because I feel like we've jumped around a lot, but I don't really feel bad when I jump around a lot when like that's that I feel like that's what the movie does itself. So they're, they're, they're not going to get a more structured conversation than a movie than that's any a conversation, any more structured than the movie they gave us as far as I'm concerned. But I want to make sure I'm not missing anything. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, this might be a, a good point to end with. It's that this movie definitely seems to think that it's going to get a sequel. And I'm like, oh, I don't God. know. I don't know where this movie gets off thinking that. I mean, it just is, it is packed with, with lead setters and little, you know, little hints and, and little, you know, storylines that are clearly going to, you know, they're going to try to talk about later or whatever, especially at the end when there's like, I don't know, three post-credit scenes. And, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, uh, I didn't know. I didn't say for any of those. I'm not going to lie. And I, I'm not going to make you yeah. talk about them either. But like, I was like, I was just ready to get the hell out. And I was like, I, I wasn't even thinking about the possibility of a, of a larger universe at the end. I was just like, all right, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. You know, there are three post-credit scenes that are all clearly directed at people who have read the comics and know the characters that are there. and like, or at least have watched the Del Toro films in detail. And, no. Oh, we're about to get Arjun back again. Yeah. Go Arjun. We lost you for like another second. Yeah, those those post credit scenes were just clearly like clearly like designed for people who have read the comics and who know the lore in more detail. And yeah, it was kind of perplexing like where, you know, this is not a movie that has signaled that it's for this crowd at all. Where you you know, anyway, Elijah, what were you saying about the I, I sort of cut you off there. Yeah, we both cut you off. <laughs> I didn't I, I didn't really think that the movie earned any of its um you know its breadth and its uh you know its sprawl um and i think that's uh that was kind of just summed up neatly by the by the three credits post-credit scenes where you know it it it's almost just came off as pompous where it's like this it's not a marvel movie like it's not i don't know why this movie mm -hmm. thinks that it needs to have you know two post-credit scenes like you know, like every other superhero did, film did, kind of thing. Did, did either of you guys watch the, um, the the Tomb Raider movie that came out last year? Yes, I did. I, that, oh, yes. That, that, that was, I mean, that, that wasn't like a movie as bad as this one, but it, it reminded me in that it's like um, another like movie like that had a couple that had a couple different uh, original incarnations in the mid to, in the early aughts and or the early 2000s. And it was like and then it spent like so much effort in the last like 10 minutes setting up the sequel that it's probably not going to get. I, I don't think I don't think that movie was successful enough. That just kind of reminded me of of this in the same way. Even if like I did see a version of this movie that I could like see at the very end, like I saw myself like enjoying a lot more than the one we got. Uh, but I mean, I kind of agree with you on that larger point, Elijah, where it's like you know I would be a lot more invested in all this other work you're doing here if you had given us something like much more worthwhile than what came before. Arjun, do you have any other final parting thoughts? Things we didn't touch on. Last points you want to make. You know, one thing that I was that I wrote um, that I wrote about a few times. Yeah. In, in, like um, which which um, 
At uh, one point, I just wrote "fake blood!" exclamation <laughs> mark. Uh, uh, so, like the actual the production design and the art direction of the film, um, Hellboy, the, the Del Toro movies, especially number two. I think number two is legitimately maybe the best superhero movie that I've ever. It's possibly my favorite superhero movie ever. Um, wow! And um, it's it's part a big part of that um, is sort of the way that the the, the the art direction just resonates so well with the emotional vibe that the, the movie carry, the movie comes across with. You know, there, there's this there's this really um, beautiful slash sad slash thrilling scene in Hellboy two the the the, um, the 2008 one 2007 2008 one where um, Hellboy has to kill uh, this this forest god this forest elemental that's unleashed um, on him and the city that they're in um, by the antagonist, Prince Nuano. And, um, you know, it's sort of at turns like funny and sad and um, thrilling. And you know, it's, it's just a brilliant scene. And you can contrast that so well with the scene in this movie where a giant monster is unleashed on the city because, and, and you know, part of it is because the, the, the art direction, in particular, the way that they, the way that they show, the way that they portray sort of monsters and the way that they portray like, I don't really know how to describe it, but like things turning into monsters, like Ben Damio turning into his wear jaguar form, like Gruagak sort of growing larger, um, even sort of the Baba Yaga. Um, I, I, I got the vibe in this movie that they, there's a lot of sort of body horror stuff, which in itself isn't bad, but it, it seems like Dead Space, like the video game Dead Space-esque, um, because it, you know... The body horror in Dead Space is um, it's 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 contortionism that is that is designed to remind you how these things are not human. Maybe they have a bit of human left, but it's designed to show you how these things are like almost otherworldly and horrifying in their in their inhumanity. And that's the reason that the the, the reason that sort of um, I think the art a lot of the art direction in the Del Toro movies worked and. The reason that it didn't work in this one is because, you, you know, there was it was it was contortionism in in this movie. It was sort of biological contortionism or portray, the portrayal of like biological contortionism and sort of um, body horror that forgot sort of the humanity of the world that 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 Hellboy lives in. Obviously, humanity in quotation marks because these things are literally not human. You know, Groot <laughs> isn't human. The Baba Yaga isn't human. But you know that that. That also extends to what we were talking about at the at the beginning with the whole like the amount of impaling and ripping people apart and like you know it's it's just it's gory and it's 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 fun I guess at times but it's not it, it never feels meaningful. The, it felt the, like they were just trying to get their money's worth for their R rating. Yeah, like the 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 art direction and even even the blood the very few bloods bloody scenes in the older ones obviously because it wasn't it wasn't R rated even the very few scenes that leaned that leaned on gore in the older ones, they, they, they always felt human. They always felt like, you know, that, like that forest God scene where Hellboy, you get a sense of palpable sadness that Hellboy has to kill this forest God. And you hell you get, because it's, it's made evident that it's the last of its kind. Hmm. You, you, you get a sense of sadness and, and that's partially because you see how sort of uniquely the thing itself is portrayed. You see how well it's designed. You, you never get the sense that someone designed this quickly. You, someone poured hours and days of their life into this. Someone made it to some, someone or people sort of made these designs to sort of distinctly parallel emotional beats in both their lives and in the movies. 
And that's, that's a beautiful sense that, that lends itself to so many emotional, so many dots on the emotional spectra that comes across very well in the, in the Del Toro movies. And that's, not, that's something that's just absent here. The contortionism, the body yeah. horror, just feels all, hollow all the time. Yeah, even if it's not in, ex- in an exact horror moment, like one other weird body thing we didn't even touch yeah. on was just how, what Sasha Lane has to go through every time she channels her medium powers. Uh, she has a lot of... Uh, different uh i don't even know what to call the matter that is coming out of her mouth but it's ch- channeling spirits of some of the other people <laughs> yeah. that have left and it's doing it in a very uh graphic way so i mean yeah it, it, it's certainly like i don't know it, it does a lot of visual things but maybe not in as thoughtful of a way as you're saying it could have and by the same token i also like i i can, I can kind of see what this char- hellboy character is supposed to be and i hearing you talk about these earlier movies where it's like you know he's this kind of monster like figure, but it's maybe against his nature to do some of like the terrible things that he's having to do or the terribly uncomfortable things he has having to do. And there's just some kind of, uh, some natural discomfort that comes with that, that can uh, elicit all kinds of emotions. And I don't really think, feel like you get anything all that nuanced on that level in this movie. And that's a really probably the, one of the bigger criticisms you can probably give it as a whole. And I mean, uh, you know, normally I would like, kind of like have like a whole, summing up at the end of the podcast here where I'm like asking everyone to like kind of give a final like recommendation as to whether they're not going to see this. But like, you know, I don't even know if people are going to really have a good chance to see this after next week. Like, you know, and end game's going to kick this off a shit ton of screens and uh, a movie of this budget of this size would probably normally hang around for like a few more weeks. But, you know, two weeks after this weekend, you got like Detective Pikachu and the next weekend after that, like John Wick three. Like it's it's it, 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 there's going to be and, and I'm really excited about like long shot the week after next. So like I honestly can't in like good conscience be like go spend your like your your valuable time and hard earned money to go see this movie when like there are going to be a lot more options coming out soon. But I mean, I, that's, I, that's it was made for like fifty million dollars as well, right? Like that's not a huge. Yeah, it's actually not a huge not budget. A huge I was surprised about that. So yeah. maybe internationally makes back its money. Good for them. Probably not going to do well enough to justify the sequel that they tried so hard to like get you guys invested in with um, those scenes at the end though. I, I will also make one quick more point, which right. is that, I mean, there's right now, there's not a whole lot of details about, you know, the production of this film, but there is one very clear detail, which is that Neil Marshall did not have the final cut of the film. Mm. Um, and I think that speaks to a larger, uh, you know, cultural issue within the production of the film. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if weeks, months, maybe even years down the line, we learn a little bit more about this production and, how, you know, I, I don't think anything we would learn would necessarily vindicate how messy the film was, but I think it might give us some more insight into why it was the way it was. Um, and I'd, I'd be curious to, you know, to hear more about, you know, behind the scenes, you know, and, and what uh, issues during production might have led to, you know, the final product that we saw. Definitely. Elijah, for the, um, for the seven people still listening, uh, is there anything you want to plug for them? <laughs> Yeah, um, let's see. Uh, We have a new season of uh, Animal Kingdom on TNT premiering on, oh gosh, I should know this. When does that premiere? Uh, May 28th. There you go. This is when the new season of Animal Kingdom, season four of Animal Kingdom premieres on TNT. Um, Yeah, so go and watch. 
Arjun, I, I normally reserve this part of the podcast for people to promote things, but much to many of our French chagrins, you are not on Letterboxd. You are, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think you have a Twitter. If you do, you don't follow me, you should fix that. So do you have anything you want to plug? You can even make a recommendation. That's what Fred started doing a couple episodes ago, doing a recommendation corner for things you think people should watch. Do you have anything you want to plug on behalf of yourself or someone else before we sign off? So um, definitely uh, Hellboy 2. I mean, both of the previous <laughs> Hellboy movies. Good point. Hellboy Good point. 2 is, um, is a really beautiful movie. Um, I, I'm probably going to go watch it again later this week. It's, um, I definitely sort of, if, if, if thinking about this movie is, you know, if, is something, like, or if you think you want to go see Hellboy. Let's go watch that instead. Um, like the current Hellboy. Yeah, I was going to, I don't want to be mean to Neil Larson, but like, yeah, go and if you think you want to go see Hellboy and don't really want to venture outside, um, just stay in and watch, watch, watch Hellboy too. Um, other than that, I don't really know. If you want to, if you want to join the meme page, I'm an admin off. It's a U of T memes for true blue teams. Other than that, that's, that's really it. <laughs> there, there, there you go. It's a, it's a very unique kind of hug there. I appreciate the diversity you gave us with your time. Uh, as usual, I'm at Josh Jernavoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on Twitter and Letterboxd. And uh, you can follow the podcast on Spotify. Just search The Rewind Josh or all the other places you normally get your podcasts like iTunes and SoundCloud. So I appreciate all you guys tuning in. If you stay tuned next week, as early as we can after it comes out, we will have one in that little small movie that indie one on a small budget coming out Avengers Endgame. So uh, stay tuned for all that and we'll see you next time.